Hello, everybody, and welcome to Changemakers from Within, a podcast about the everyday heroes who are turning their for-profit businesses into socially responsible workplaces. I'm your host, Rachel Klausner, and I'm the founder and CEO of Millie, a social impact platform for companies of all sizes. Today, my guest is Emily Dalton-Smith, who is the Director of Social Impact Product at Facebook. We're going to dive into creating and scaling impact with fundraising, mentorship, information tools, and much more. Emily will walk us through how Facebook approaches impact and how they decide what's next. And you'll get to hear what's next. As a former product designer myself, this episode is one of my favorites as we discuss how you can embed impact into your product. So cool. Before we dive into the episode, a quick announcement. We are so excited to announce the launch of the Millie Slack app. The integration brings giving and volunteering directly where culture at work already exists, Slack. Find out more by going to milligiving.com slash Slack. Let's get to it. This past year, it has been more difficult than ever to stay connected with one another. But social networking apps like Facebook have given us a way to update one another about our lives, organize virtual events, and form communities with people who share our interests. But if you're one of the billions of people who use Facebook, you're probably aware that it's not only a great social networking tool, it's also a powerful social impact tool. From information centers to blood donations to crisis response efforts, Facebook runs a wide range of social impact initiatives that reach millions and sometimes billions of people. Let's walk backwards a little bit. Facebook fundraising began seven years ago, before Emily even joined the Facebook social impact team. On July 15, 2014, a Florida golfer named Chris Kennedy posted a video on Facebook, dumped a bucket of ice water on his head, and challenged his wife's cousin Jeanette to do the same, or donate $100 to the ALS Foundation. Jeanette posted a video on Facebook of herself accepting the challenge and nominating more people to do the same. One thing led to another, and soon enough, the Ice Bucket Challenge lit up the internet with over 17 million videos related to the challenge being posted to Facebook in the span of three months. People were dumping buckets of ice over their heads. Lots of celebrities were doing it. Um, public figures like Bill Gates and Mark and Cheryl. And after I dumped this bucket of ice on my head, I get to nominate three new people to challenge. So I'm going to challenge Bill Gates, my partner at Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, and Netflix's founder and CEO, Reed Hastings, to do this within the next 24 hours. So you have 24 hours to do this, or you have to donate $100. And people were right, sharing we through Facebook. They were sharing their videos on Facebook, and for many people, it was the first time they'd ever seen a video on Facebook. That was really cool. I mean, this was like totally innovative technology and human experiences around human connection. And it was the first time people had encountered the ALS Association. And so people were posting videos and then a link to go donate on the ALS website, which from actually like a user experience perspective is a terrible user experience. (laughs) You know, having to go through like multiple sites and click a bunch of different links and then go get your credit card to donate and do credit card verification. Um, really hard and a bad user experience, and yet it was still so viral that it crashed the ALS's association website, which meant they actually, you know, couldn't process all the, like, take all the donations that people wanted to make, at least when people wanted to make them. So we got really inspired um, and thought, wow, if we just had some native tools, that experience could be extraordinary. 
Um, you can make your donation really easily. We can, we would be able to make sure that people could always donate when they wanted to. You wouldn't have to worry about your website crashing if you're a nonprofit, right? We can handle all the traffic. Um, and we thought, wow, how magical would it be if people could support any cause that they wanted um, and, you know, do it in a way that could even be smaller. So the incredible viral fundraisers are amazing, but <clears throat> also, you know, just small everyday giving, whether it's to like your kid's school or it's your local food bank or a homeless shelter or even, you know, kind of your town, your community center, however you want to give. If you could do that easily and quickly and raise funds for that from your friends and your neighbors, um, it would be extraordinary. Facebook has been building out fundraising tools ever since. And in that time has helped people around the world raise more than $5 billion for causes that they care about. And we've actually expanded. We started just on Facebook with nonprofit fundraisers, and now people can raise money for personal causes, medical emergencies, school, um, local businesses. Um, last year, there was a fundraiser for the Australian wildfires. A comedian named Celeste Barber raised more than $20 million, might be $30 million. It was actually more than $38 million. For the Australian wildfires through her fundraiser and it went viral and people across the world just came together to give and help the community recover. Um, we also had incredible fundraisers for some of the natural disasters in the U.S. So, you know, people came together after Hurricane Harvey um, and raised millions and millions of dollars to help people affected by the flooding uh, from Hurricane Harvey, which was incredible. And then we see people, some of my favorites are the little examples. So um, one of my cousins volunteers with an organization called Operation Barbecue. He lives in Tul Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a lot older than me. I actually don't know him that well. Um, you know, we grew up pretty far apart. And, uh, and I, you know, I didn't know that he did volunteer work at all until I saw him post a fundraiser for this organization called Operation Barbecue. And it's a group of people who go to disaster sites um, and they literally pull up in these giant bar with these giant barbecue trucks and they camp out and wow. they cook for first responders and for people who are displaced by natural disasters and just, you know, feed people while they're experiencing some of the toughest times of their lives. And so, wow, that's pretty incredible. And it gave me a whole new way to know him and to, and to learn about what he cares about. And, um, and then I think the other, one of the other things that's been, really extraordinary for me is meeting with um, some of the people who use our products. And there are a couple of women who I got to meet with uh, just about a year and a half ago who are um, really master Facebook and Instagram users. Uh, they're power users and they run um, small nonprofits that benefit rare diseases. They're, they're moms of kids who have extremely rare diseases. Um, and both of them have kids who have terminal diseases. So I met these incredible women um, and they're running these nonprofits to help, you know, kids like their kids and to really advance research and advocacy and support for families who are dealing with these really, 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 really challenging and terrible issues. And they, um, they're using, you know, fundraising and they're using groups and they gave us, I think, a lot of really valuable insight to the type of um, volunteering tools that we should be building, which we've just started to test. Um, and so, you know, meeting people who are actually using social media to help connect with other families around the world who are dealing with the same types of things and to rally their communities and to build, you know, advocacy and support and to fund the next generation of life-changing research that's going to, that will save kids' lives has, was incredibly impactful. And I, I keep in touch wow. with them. I talk to them all the time. They're like incredible, incredible, amazing women. Wow. Kudos to you for carving out that time and that energy to keep up with them, right? Because I think it's so important 
you know, obviously to build these tools and do all that, but to keep a pulse on the folks that are using it and really, you know, asking them on a, on a, on a one-to-one level, right? Not just asking your team to do it, but really you, Emily, as the leader of this big team that's building out all these products to really have those conversations with folks is kudos to you because that's incredible. Oh, they're great. Are you kidding? They're like my best source of feedback. They're, I mean, doing way more in the world and dealing with way more than I ever am. So it's, it's really, I appreciate that they spend time with me, but, uh, but it's, it's been really rewarding and meaningful. And I think gives us a lot of reason to keep going and do even more. In February of last year, the Facebook team started to understand that COVID-19 wasn't going to be confined to any particular region. It was going to affect the entire globe. And one of the biggest things we realized that people needed was just information. Like it was such an information poor environment. No one really understood what was happening. So um, Mark was pushing actually everyone really hard to start to think about this and prepare for what we could do. Yes, that Mark. And we were working with um, some partner organizations like the WHO and and uh, global health organizations. And they were telling us, hey, we're not great at communicating to people, regular people um, in the ways that they need to be communicated to about these like very complex topics. Like we don't have the reach and the distribution and, you know, there's a a certain way that people um, need to ingest really complex information. And that's not our skill set, right? We're like research and health delivery organizations or policy experts. And so that's what really was the genesis of the COVID-19 Information Center, which we built about a year ago now, which was, you know, how do we just give people the information they need to help them navigate and make better decisions and understand what's happening to them on as local a level as possible? So we launched this huge campaign to get people information, and actually 2 billion people have um, gotten information about the pandemic through that campaign that we've run over the past year. And then, wonderfully, the vaccines have started to become available. So we, you know, have renewed our campaign, and now we're really focused on helping people get information about how to get vaccinated um, around the world. And so, again, we're running not just information. So there's information about when you're eligible, if you're in the U.S. or the handful of countries where people are um, able to get vaccinated now. But we've also got a tool called Vaccine Finder, which aggregates information about vaccination sites. So if you're eligible to get vaccinated, um, you can go on Vaccine Finder in the U.S. We're just shipping it in India. And so you can go and you can find, you know, vaccination sites near you and use it to find ways to make an appointment because it's, it's just hard. And that's, that's the magic of Facebook and Instagram and social media is, you know, people are there already and the world is there. And so we just, you know, have a responsibility and an opportunity to bring everything they need to them. With especially these kind of information center style tools, how do you gain users trust and assure them that you're sharing reputable information? So this is really important. We've actually invested a lot in this. Um, We have, you know, I talked about a lot about the partners we work with. We have partners and we actually have expert panels that we pull together on these topics. We had, and so we have one for covid Um, We also had one for our voting information center in the U.S. last fall, Um, and we used those experts to to guide us on which sources of information to use and then how to display the information in our products because we want to make sure that people know it's not Facebook information, right? This is really from authoritative sources who are experts and, and are the sources that people can trust on this information, and what we're doing is serving as a conduit to get people that information in time 
um, and where they need it, where they already are, and just meet people where they are. So you'll see, you'll see in product that we actually cite the source of the information, and you can go and click on that link, whether it's a it's a um, fact about um, COVID, um, or it's a news article, or any other type of statistic or other information we cite. Um, has a link to the source and we try to put as much of that information about where it comes from and so people can trust it and also do their own investigation um, of the information they receive. Because we think, you know, whether you're on the COVID information center and you're looking at facts about getting vaccinated or you're having a conversation with your friends and we, you know, give, put a label on the conversation and give people an easy way to go to the COVID information center and check out um, the facts. We want people really to be able to to evaluate for themselves and have good, authoritative, neutral um, information at their fingertips so they can make really informed decisions. The COVID-19 Information Center isn't the only one Facebook built this past year. If you used Facebook in September, October, or November of 2020, then you are probably familiar with the voting information campaign Facebook ran last fall. Go out and vote. It's so important. Well, I mean, you could not have missed it. So if you yeah. logged into Facebook <laughs> or Instagram in September, October, or November, you definitely saw what we're talking about because yep. we actually put information about voting at the top, on top of people's news feeds in Facebook and Instagram. So, you know, usually when you see something that's prominent, it's, it's at the top. We put it, we actually moved newsfeed down to put in, to put voting information above it because it's literally the most important real estate in our apps. Um, and we wanted to make sure that people in the U.S. could easily get that information. So we put facts about voting. We put information about deadlines uh, to register and vote. We put um, a tool that actually helped people register to vote in their state um, if they needed to register or re-register or check their registration. Um, and we put reminders about all the ways that people could vote in there. Um, we also showed people videos about how to fill out their ballots because filling out your ballot wow, can yep. actually be really difficult. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw that in – that was our, our mishap in the 2000 election was was there was a lot yeah. of ballot confusion. So it really a can of, impact – it really, as we've seen in very recent history, that it can really impact um, an election. Yeah, it can have a huge impact. And ballots are pl- printed at – Um, the local level. So there are actually thousands of different ballots across the country. And so really knowing how how to fill out your ballot and feeling confident in that makes a huge difference for people. So um, so if you saw any information about voting, that was what what I'm referring to. That was our voting information campaign. Um, And we ran it almost every single day between the end of August and the middle of November. It really is something that, you know, everyone can use. We run support for free and fair elections for democratic elections worldwide. But, you know, I, I've been active, civically engaged and active my entire life. My parents were both on the school board and were elected to the school board when I was growing up. And I remember being like, I don't know, seven maybe. My mom took me to phone bank, you know, and call for local candidates. And so, um, you know, participation and really helping people make their voices heard has always been something that I've that I've cared about um, and has been part of my personal life, you know, since as long as I can remember. And so being able to help people 
especially while people were navigating the pandemic and they were so there were so many concerns about whether the election, even just voting, the simple act of voting would be safe for people and being able to provide support for them and help them know how to vote, how to vote safely and get out and make their voices heard was um, one of the things I'm most proud of. And we actually ha- we ran the largest voting information campaign in the in U.S. history and we helped wow. four and a half million people get out and vote and register. So we're super proud of that. Emily's team also created Mentorship, a program that connects people who are looking for guidance on a topic with those that have the knowledge and experience to help. Oh, I love mentorship. So this is a good example of where we actually chose to invest in a product that's smaller. You know, it has millions of users a year rather than billions of users because most people don't need mentorship all the time, right? And when you use it, it's not like you need to talk to your mentor every day. Uh, but this is what's magical about Facebook and Instagram and social media is, you know, when you have 3 billion people or almost 3 billion people connected, the person you need who has the information you need or the experience you need or is the person you need to coach you, that person's actually already on our apps and we can help you get connected to them. So that's what mentorship does. It's based in groups. And so if you belong to a group that has mentorship turned on, there's actually a a product, a tool that helps you find a mentor or if you want to mentor others, um, helps you find mentees and then helps you connect. We give you little, we help you actually find one another um, and then give you little prompts once you pair up with someone to help make that conversation easier and get started because, you know, it can be a little tough just figuring out what to talk to someone you've never met before about. Emily's team has seen people use Facebook mentorship in all sorts of ways. So um, what we think of as a lot of traditional mentorship around economic opportunity and helping people build businesses or change careers or um, pursue education, we see people using the tool for that all the time. One Facebook group that's been taking advantage of the product is She Trucking. A group of female truckers who are dedicated to increasing the representation of women in the industry very high paying job and it can be life changing for a woman and for her family to have the opportunity to earn, you know, 80 or 100,000 or more dollars a year. Um, And women only represent about 7% of truckers today. So, you know, it's a very male dominated field. Um, and these women are on a mission to, to help more women get in. And so they use mentorship to help other women to coach them, to help them be successful in their businesses, to navigate life on the road, to help them stay safe as they're spending a lot of their you know, lives in truck stops and sometimes in deserted areas and, and thinking about you know, how do they build their businesses? What, is, what does it mean to be a female trucker and just to build community and solidarity, but to stay in touch and have really one-to-one connections? And it's been absolutely incredible. I mean, it's really amazing to see how they connect with one another, bringing more women in, making them more confident. Greetings, sisters. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. Sun's coming up on the port of Jacksonville. I just want to make sure everybody's still washing their hand and sanitizing. You know, just keep yourself safe. You know, we got to keep this world going. Are you guys decontaminated? A few of us drivers have come together, collected some money so that we could bless you to a hot meal. We're out here and we're going to make some uh, handkerchief masks. Rachel, you, you scooted up, honey. 
So we see that a lot. We see a lot of networking and professional development and professional support, especially for women with the mentorship product. But people don't only use mentorship for professional help. They use it for their hobbies, too. There's a group of people who are underwater salamander enthusiasts who, who raise these underwater oh. salamanders. Yes, and they use mentorship to teach one another. They also use, they, they've been using a common, a lot of these groups use a combination of mentorship and guides, which allows group admins to curate content from their groups and actually turn them into structured guides or like you can think of them as mini courses. And so you can have mentorship and a course in your group that pulls all the information together. And so they're using it to teach one another to raise underwater salamanders. There's a bunch of cooking groups that are using these products to teach people to cook and, and build their cooking skills. like knife skills, and I don't know, I'm a terrible cook, so I don't actually know what they're talking about. But. <laughs> uh, it's really cool to see just the variety of, of uses awesome. and what people care about and to see people connecting on this really deep one-to-one level and coaching so cool. and supporting one another. So cool. As like as like an entrepreneur myself, it's so, like I have friends, like the, the only way I'm getting through this is with my peers and the folks that are a bunch of steps ahead of me that coach me through it. So I feel like mentorship is just such a big part of the success of building your career and building your business. If you're going down that path, I just, I think it's so smart. Like, yeah, okay. It might not impact the number of people, but the depth of it is just so powerful. It really is. And especially for people who, you know, come from communities where they don't have those resources or just don't have the experience that you're looking for. You know, a lot of people um, in more resource communities can tap into their existing network. It's their friends or their parents' friends or their family, right? If they want to start a small business and they have a lot of people who have successfully started businesses, it's easy to go and ask like your dad's buddy or your mom's buddy or like, you know, your friend who did this how to be successful and to get that kind of coaching. But, you know, if you happen not to have any of those people in your network, we don't want people to have to start from zero. We want people to be able to tap into all the experience and to get the leg up that everybody should be able to have. Speaking of experience, let's talk about the path that Emily took to where she is today. Before she started working on Facebook, Emily was a senior program officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, working on personalized learning technologies for K-12 students. So I funded new technology development and evaluation and research um, of some of the products actually that people's kids are using in school today. So if your kid's are using LearnZillion or Think Circa um, or a bunch of products like that, we I actually funded them and worked with those um, companies really early on as they got started. So it's been pretty exciting to see them grow. And it sounds like you really carved this niche around like pro- social impact products because at the Gates Foundation, you were doing this very kind of similar space type of work where you were funding these projects where it was how do we leverage technology across way more people to have this social impact? Yeah, we were thinking a lot about um, how do we how do we just create tools for teachers and students that make personalized learning much easier and much more accessible because, you know, if you're one teacher and you've got 20 kids, no matter how great of a teacher you are, it's really hard to personalize learning for every single kid. And we wanted every kid to be able to get the experience they need when they need it. And that's just too much of a burden to place on an individual teacher. Um, You know, teachers already were overwhelmed with having to grade, you know, stay up late at night grading and using their weekends to work on student work. And, you know, even the best teacher is going to have a little bit of a delay in turnaround, right? So 
And then the other thing was, how do we help teachers do what they do best, which is actually interacting directly with their students instead of like grading papers and worksheets. And so that's, that's really how I started getting into um, software at the Gates Foundation and had worked at Arizona State on online learning. So I knew that there was a lot you could do and that there were lots of tools that were just starting to emerge that could be more helpful with, I think, more guidance and um, and that, and also millennial parents. So millennials were starting to become parents and I, and like, I knew every good millennial is going to want some software, right? Cause we like love our phones and we grew up with this and, you yeah. know, the Carmen San Diego generation, it would actually expect different things of, um, of school and education and live differently. And so that's kind of what started my interest in, in tool development at the Gates Foundation and software, um, and now it's kind of crazy because I have a seven-year-old who's in first grade and he's got like his Google login and he's got a bunch of cool software programs. He's doing Lexio, which was one of the companies I worked with and we funded and has incredible results in helping kids build their literacy skills. And so I think the future is here. And so now it's time to look to the next future. Before working at the Gates Foundation, Emily was a speechwriter and policy analyst at the State University of New York, and she was also the director of student services and technology partnerships at Arizona State University for a time. So most of my career has actually been in the public sector um, or working with the public sector, except for very, very early on, which is actually where I developed my love of software. I worked for a company called Bluefly and I did email marketing in the very early days of email marketing. Wait, I did not know you worked at Bluefly, like the yes. clothing store that I bought way too many items of clothing. Yes. On. Oh, okay. <laughs> super, super early days when like your email, you to send your marketing email, you actually had to click the button and that would send it. You couldn't schedule anything. I think when I worked there, scheduling was introduced and that was like game changing because we used to have to come into the office at 6 a.m. to send out the six o'clock email. Oh my um, God. Yeah. And the six o'clock I... email that made me buy that thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we were, our minds were blown, right? Because, because there was no targeting, there was no interest-based shopping at that time. It was just starting to emerge. And so, you know, when we could reach out to people who had bought Gucci shoes and tell them about a sale on Prada shoes, it was amazing. It was mind-blowing that conversion was higher and that we could figure out what people liked and, and think about these interest clusters and help them find products that they liked. And I did that for a couple of years, and it turned out that I actually really didn't care that much about selling expensive shoes to people. Yeah. But I really cared. <laughs> I really cared about technology, and I thought it was fascinating and interesting. And at the time, I was tutoring a guy who um, who was getting his GED. He was a Bangladeshi immigrant and he was going to night school while he worked. He was an older student, non-traditional, and he was amazing. And I would leave my job selling shoes over the internet to go and tutor him in math and help him get his GED. And it was life-changing. I was living in New York at the time and I also started mentoring through a program called Scholars for Educational Opportunity and was mentoring a high school student who was a really high potential young woman and helping her get through the college going process. And so I really cared about doing those things. And so I went to the state university system in New York and worked on communications and policy and really developed my love for helping people and thinking about how do you help people? How do you help one person? But how do you take what you learn about helping one person and use that to help thousands of people or millions of people? And, you know, today now we're helping billions of people. 
I love that. And I, I feel like we have so many overlaps because I also worked in email technology for retail. So we have a lot of overlaps. And now we're both in social impact because they're so connected, right? right. <laughs> I mean, we got a lot of refugees from e-commerce who are like, right. I really love all the work. I really just don't want to sell things. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's awesome. So I, I heard that in college you were, so, you know, in college you were an English major. But you were also, I heard, the editor-in-chief of your campus newspaper. And a couple of years after you graduated, you were a speechwriter and policy analyst at the State University of New York. So, like, you kind of had this, like, really interesting story where you went from, like, writing and marketing and then evolving into this impact space. How how have you navigated that through your professional career? Like, obviously, you know, you everyone does these zigzags in their career. You, we hear how you made those emotional decisions to to change paths. How did you make those more strategic decisions? Um, well, actually, so I was an English major in college, and I loved it. I loved the kind of structures of how people interact, and you so that's actually a lot of what you learn in literature is like how do people interact and what are the human dynamics, right? So fascinating. I was also a math minor, and I thought for a while I was going to be a math major. I came in. I'd actually done a bunch of um, college coursework in math when I was in high school. I grew up across the, my high school is across the street from an engineering university, and so I took classes over there and did a bunch of stuff and realized I didn't love math the way you would need to love math to be a math major. <laughs> so I became a math minor. And then at some point, I remember being like, I think between my sophomore and junior years, I started to think about like, how am I going to make some money in the world? Like, how am I going to support myself? And how is this all this kind of like theoretical English and math stuff going to translate into a career? And so I decided I wanted to, to be, to study marketing. So I became a marketing minor as well. Um, still had no idea how this was going to translate into a career, but I started to think about how do I like, how do I build up some marketable skills and, and start to think about like, how does my love of how people think and communication and numbers start to come together into something that looks like a job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Those things we don't always think about early on. (laughs) Right. I like, I I started to work on journalism and I was like, I don't think I'm going to be that great of a reporter. So (laughs) I really have too many opinions. Like I really am missing the objectivity gene here. (laughs) And so so that's what I, that's how I, how I um, started to like think about, okay, well, how do I build up these skills that would just give me more options? And that's how I ended up getting my marketing job eventually because I had some background in it. And then I, I have to say that the English major and the math skills are probably the most valuable skills. I would like strongly encourage people to be an English major, even though everyone says you'll never get a job out of it because narrative and communication skills and being able to express your ideas and use data to back them up and and really understand um, and, and make data-driven decisions are incredibly important, and they're two of the skills that I lean on most in my job today. Um, I never thought I'd be a product manager since I, I have never written a line of code, but it turns out there are lots of ways to get here, and it's, it's pretty cool. So many people are on Facebook. <laughs> I think I read as of this la- the end of this last year, there were 1.8 billion daily active users and 2.8 billion monthly active users. So you have the potential to do a lot of good. And how do you decide which initiatives are going to be the most impactful? This is probably the hardest thing we do. So building the products is hard. 
Helping our community is hard, but deciding what to do is the hardest thing because there's always an incredible range of amazing things we could do, right? There, there are always more opportunities than we have the capacity to take on. And so we really try to be very rigorous and pretty strict with ourselves and thinking about um, what can we do extraordinarily well that nobody else can do? Like what is really about the magic of social media and human connection and what can we unlock that couldn't happen anywhere else? Um, Two is where do we think that we can have outsized impact? So we look for things that are unique, but then we look for, for opportunities that we think could be transformative. And then we look for user and partner feedback and expert feedback. So then we say, okay, if we have this kind of set of ideas where we think we could make a unique difference, we think we could make a transformative difference. And then we say, what do people want? What do people really want us to do? Um, what does our community need from us? And then we think about scale. We think like, okay, can it, can it be really large? And, and scale does not always mean um, that we choose the biggest idea. Sometimes we really go for depth, but those are the four criteria we think about. And, you know, I think blood donations is a good example. We thought, you know, it, it won't be the kind of scale of charitable giving, right? Because it's just smaller, but it's so important. And the difference you make when you donate blood and, you know, saving people's lives or helping them through surgery, you know, whatever they need is so, is so important. So, so we weighted it a little bit differently. And it's been hugely successful. Over 100 million people have signed up to donate blood on Facebook. And the tool is now available in 37 countries across the globe. It's really amazing, particularly in countries that don't have blood banks in the same way that we do in the U.S. You know, here, if you need blood, you just get blood from the hospital or the Red Cross and you, you never have to worry about it. But in many countries, you actually have they operate on a replacement model. And so if you are going to need blood for surgery or a medical procedure, you have to get friends and family to go in and donate blood in your name. Wow. The same amount, right? So imagine having to worry about that. Like, literally, can I survive this procedure because my family can get enough people to come and donate blood in my name? Right? And so so with Facebook, the blood banks are actually just able to ask people directly so that they don't have to put that burden on friends and family um, and that their community at large can respond when there's a need. So... You lead social impact products across all the Facebook Inc. platforms, which include Facebook and Instagram and Messenger and WhatsApp and more. How do you think about the different potential impact tools that you can build into different kinds of platforms? So we think about where people where are people engaged already? We really try to follow our community and meet them where they are. So that shapes a lot of you know which app we focus on, especially for which cause. Um, and then we think a lot about how, how easy is it to build and test these types of products, right? So we want to make sure that we can get early signal on what's working. Um, and then we think about where can we build on where we have strength because it's a lot easier, you know, to build um, on a product that already works or on an app that's already set up to support us. So we started on Facebook and we've done a ton of work on building out products there We recently started working on Instagram and expanding fundraisers um, and doing authoritative, what we call authoritative information, so the COVID and voting information centers. Um, And then, you know, we've also started, we've also actually started to do more in messaging and took a totally different approach, which is how do we Hmm. empower our partners with the WhatsApp business API and with messenger bots on messaging, right? So you know, instead of us building products, it's taking what's already there um, and then really teaching partner organizations how to use them effectively and supporting them and using it. And so 
Um, it's really like, what are we going to be good at? What are people already doing? And then how do we make it as easy as possible? Now, I know this is this is going to be a tough question, but how do you guys balance social networking and social impact? So just as like an example, how did you, you know, you guys during the entire voter campaign, you had this really prominent area of your social networking app that was dedicated to social impact. How did that decision come to be? Like, how do you guys balance those, you know, okay, we're taking away you know, whatever, above the fold space or whatever, you know, you reference it as for impact work. And I see that you guys do that often, you know, throughout my entire experience on Facebook and Instagram, I'm constantly seeing things. How do you guys balance that social network and social impact piece? Well, you know, Mark actually made that decision. Um, Oh, wow. So I didn't have to balance anything. (laughs) (laughs) That makes this easy. That is an easy answer. (laughs) But, you know, the coolest thing is that's actually pretty much the answer to everything, which is that our executives from, you know, Mark throughout and throughout the company, um, really are view this as like core of mission fulfillment. And so, you know, you always have to make practical trade-offs, but like, we just have this, like, we just have this deep, deep commitment to social impact as a company at the core of what we do. And it's really our core business is, is social impact. And so I think, I think it's, it's actually the thing that I was most curious about when I joined, because I thought, yep. is this for real? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it is the thing that I really, one of the things I value most now, having been here for six years, is just the like deep and constant support for helping people do good and, and unlocking the potential, you know, people's potential to be good and to help one another. That's awesome. I was totally expecting someone like, like the way it worked was like someone would go and be like, Hey Mark, Hey Cheryl, can we just like get an above the fold space to like pitch like a blood donation or pitch a thing? But it's awesome that it's coming from the top that they're saying like, we want to prioritize this. This needs to be above the fold for three months long. You know, that, that is super powerful. This is not, we're not talking about like little, like, you know, things that are hidden deep in the product. All of these tools that we're referencing are, are there right? We can see them. We're, we're, we're seeing that impact on a daily basis. I, I feel like this week in anticipation of just talking, I was, I've just been like, wow, this and this and this, and I'm totally noticing all these tools that you and your team are building that are just like a part of my experience on like a daily basis, which is so cool. Yeah. So. It's pretty amazing. Um, it's, it's kind of, I, I think it means we can probably do a better job of helping people know that we built these for a reason. No, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> no but it, it means that it feels, it's so natural to the product, yeah. right? It's not like so glaring, like, oh, what is this thing? It's just so expected. Like we're expecting mm-hmm. you guys to do it because you guys have been doing it for so long, right? You've, you've been doing this impact work and, you know, yes, it sounds like the official start was around when the ice bucket challenge happened, you know, a decade or so ago, but it's the, the trickle down now is that we're, we're expecting Facebook and Instagram to do these things because you guys have done such a great job doing it. So thank you. I'm, I'm, I was fangirling a little bit this week. I'm like, (laughs) wow, this social impact work, like deep in the product. This is, this is cool. Especially as like, I'm a former product designer. So for me, it's also super cool to see that balance because we always, I always have that, you know, give and take when I'm building a product, you, you have to make these tough decisions, you know, tough decisions. We're not, we're not, we're not, you know, I, I, it's not like as a product designer, I'm an ER doctor, so I'm not making those kinds of tough decisions. I don't want to belittle that, but I, you know, our quote tough decisions as designers is figuring out the balance between you're making a decision when you're putting something on a screen 
you're making decisions as you're putting things on screens, how much, you know, real estate it's taking up, how important is this feature or how unimportant is this feature? And those trade-offs that you're making, it's so clear in using Facebook and Instagram and, and all the tools that you guys build out at Facebook is that you're, it's, it's everywhere, right? It's not, you're not hiding this anywhere. This isn't like a nice to have like, oh yeah, we're just going to put social impact on the side. Like social impact is such a forefront of a lot of what you guys are doing. So it's, it's cool. It's really cool. That's, and that's kudos to you and your team and the broader leadership team for prioritizing it. It's really awesome. Um, I'd love to hear from you what like a favorite memory of, of your team is at Facebook. Um, oh gosh, I think, so one of my favorite memories is the day Mark announced that we were waiving all fees on nonprofit donations on the platform. And you know, it's, it's expensive. It's tens of millions of dollars a year. I don't know. I mean, more it's, you know, it's definitely not insignificant and we knew that it would be a long-term commitment, right? So yep. It was, and you know, it was a really big commitment, I think, not just to the products, but actually really to like all of the people who use our products and all of the nonprofits that benefit from them into the whole world to say, hey, 100% of every dollar you raise is going to go directly to your organization and we're going to take care of all the payment processing fees and we're going to take care of all the back end. And obviously we don't charge people to use the technology, yeah, but I, it was like a big deal. I want to give everyone some perspective here because coming from like, technology that does payment processing and all this, that is unheard of, right? You're not just, you're not saying, okay, Facebook's not taking a cut. You're saying Facebook's not only not taking a cut, but we're also covering the processing fees, which costs Facebook money. So as people are using it and you're encouraging people to use it, you guys are actually paying money for folks to donate. So I just want to give everyone perspective that's listening that like the way this is working is you guys are actually putting out money and so when you're saying you're making this commitment, I, I totally hear how this is like, I, I have chills right now because what a cool momentous like statement to make that Mark made that it's just, it's not just about for the next month we're covering fees, like this is in perpetuity and that is huge. I mean, that's, that probably is going to cost, I, I, I don't want to do the math offhand. Um, you're the math major, so I will let you do that <laughs> or the, or the potential math major. <laughs> but I mean, it's, that's a ton of money to cover as folks are donating. And we're hearing some of these numbers, like when someone starts a campaign, it can easily get to a million dollars. So this is, you know, these are a lot, this is a, and you guys have been processing $5 billion. So you know that those are the trajectory of these and the processing fees are always a couple percent. So this is a lot of money. This is, this is a really big commitment. So yeah, I, that is huge. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And, and we, um, it was our first social impact summit. It was called the social good summit at the time we were in New York and we'd invited, um, a, you know, probably, I don't know, 200 or so of our partners and experts and like nonprofits who use the tools and, and people from the space. And I was telling, I was telling the team and I was telling the leadership team that people were really going to care about this. This is what they're going to be excited about. And nobody, I, I don't think anyone else really recognized it the way I did. And I remember Mark was practicing the speech and we were on the kind of audience as we were doing the run through, you know, before the public event. And I was like wildly clapping and my, my teammates were kind of looking at me like, are you nuts? And I was like, you don't understand. This is going to be amazing. You were like, um, you then, were, wait, you were 
So you were in this dry run pretending yeah. to be the audience, because yes. like screaming loud because you I were like, like <laughs> I think everyone is going to go crazy over this. And all of your teammates were like, you're nuts, Emily. Right. Yeah. And then okay. the next day, and then the next day we had hundreds of people in this room and Mark announced that we were, you know, covering fees and the room went nuts. <laughs> of course, because it's such a big deal. Oh my God. That is the funniest story. I love that. What? <laughs> so then I, I looked like a like pretty dorky, but it was pretty great. So that was one of my favorite, favorite moments. What's next for social impact at Facebook? What's kind of the 10-year vision? So our, our you know, our vision is really um, helping people um, unlock limitless potential for good. You know, I mean, humanity really does have this limitless potential for good. We see, um, we see people come together, especially in hard times and you're just constantly amazed by how good people are and how much good they do. And so that's what we're aiming toward. No small thing. Um, (laughs) and so we've got two, two ways we're doing that. First, we're expanding our charitable giving tools to help people, um, give and help their communities in more ways. So um, we've just started testing a new product for drives, which help, which allows you to collect physical goods and you know think of fundraising awesome. for stuff. Um, you know, so if you've got a kid in school, every class party basically requires you to run a little mini physical goods drive for cupcakes and forks and all that kind of stuff. But at a higher level, you know, people often run coat drives and school supplies drives, and so we want to support that activity natively on the platform. We also just started testing volunteering products with a small group of... Awesome. Yeah. So as the world comes back together next year, we're really excited to be able to help people connect in person and spend their time giving to causes and people they care about. Um, And then we're continuing to work on our mentorship and learning products. I think of all those as, you know, helping people give their time, their talent, or their treasure to a cause they care about. And then then we also have a bunch of work around supporting key social issues. So, you know, we have four that that we're really focused on now, obviously health, um, and we'll continue to work on COVID. Obviously, civic engagement. Um, yep. We've done a bunch around voting, but we're actually starting to think about how do we help people engage in their communities at a more local level every day. So, you know, voting is incredibly important, but there's a lot that people do in their communities beyond participating in elections, and we want to help them do that more easily. And then we have a team that's working on equity. So, you know, how do we help people make progress um, and really support all people, particularly historically marginalized or underrepresented groups? And then we have a team that's working, we'll be working on climate change. So we hope to do more on that later this year. Wow. Amazing. I feel like I can't wait to continue just opening up my app and seeing the new tools. I feel like it's a weekly basis thing now where I'm like, oh, I'm doing that. And that's what we're trying up. for. It's awesome. I, I'm loving it. I really am loving it. This was so much fun, Emily. I am just thrilled to have you. And I, I am so grateful to you and your team for building out these tools, prioritizing impact just within the product so naturally so that the billions of us that are using it can find the right information we need to get vaccinated, can go give a blood donation, can connect with others and mentor. So I'm just, thank you so much, Emily, for everything you've done. Oh, thank you. And thank you for having me. It's it's a massive, massive team effort. There are thousands of people across the company. I just get to be the person who shares it with the world. So I really appreciate being here with you. Changemakers from Within is a production of Millie, the charitable giving platform that helps for-profit companies build cultures of giving. 
you're looking to jumpstart social responsibility initiatives at your workplace and don't know where to start, check us out at milligiving.com. 